0: Town Hall Academy, episode 30.
1: We are so concerned with fixing cars that we forgot to be business people. And fixing cars is fun for most of us. The business is not fun. And we gotta, we've got to become that entrepreneurial person and pay attention to the business. And you'll find any of these successful shops, they made a transition from being a car fixer to being a business owner. They own a business that fixes cars. And then the numbers become a little easier for them.
0: Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Welcome, aftermarketers, to the Town Hall Academy podcast on 9 Reasons Why Labor Rates Need to Increase. This was an engaging episode when it was a live webcast on Facebook, and I'm sure this audio version is going to be as popular. Many within the industry brought their support to the topic and had their own great comments. I'm always proud of the forum panel when they bring their A-game to the discussion. I thank every aftermarket professional that has paid it forward with their wisdom. This episode is sponsored by Jasper Engines and Transmissions. A new vehicle may look and smell nice, but they come with seemingly endless monthly payments, higher license fees, and higher insurance premiums. Here's the better solution for your customer. Remanufactured components from Jasper mean a new lease on life to a trusted old friend. Hey, Carm Capriato here, your podcast host, and I am glad you've chosen the Remarkable Results Radio podcast as your personal networking tool. So here's the skinny. If you find the Academy Lessons valuable, then schedule yourself to be in the live audience every Friday at 12 noon Eastern. You can be in the live audience on Facebook or on my webinar platform. Now, everything is no cost to you. And every link you need for a total submersion in the podcast and the Academy is at remarkableresults.biz/social. See the show notes for this Town Hall Academy at RemarkableResults.biz slash A030. The critical talking points of this academy are already written for you, and you can watch the HD video there also. You could even use those notes for a meeting agenda. Hey, on the show notes page, you'll also find my guests' in-depth bios, the key talking points, as I said, and a link to the episodes that my guests have been on in the past. Use these links to dive into more wisdom from them. This repurposed podcast of the video form makes it easier for everyone that does not have the time to catch the live video webcast. That's the power of podcasting, the digital on-demand audio broadcast. And by the way, I'm glad you're here. And don't forget all Academy video and audio replays are at RemarkableResults.biz Academy. There was a special offer made by Malin Newton. He offered a form to complete and sent to him, and he'll review your labor rate. He will also give you some time to discuss it. All the information and the downloads is on the show notes page for this episode. Find the download at RemarkableResults.biz slash A030. I also included a link to Tom Ham's Automotive Management Network. Now listen to Malin Newton from ESI, Educational Seminars Institute. Malin is a business coach and trainer. Matt Fonslow is the Diagnostic Tech and Shop Manager for Riverside Automotive in Red Wing, Minnesota. And Tom Hamm from AutoCentric, an import specialty shop in Grand Rapids, creator and owner of Automotive Management Network. Now, listen to a very important and necessary discussion on the reasons labor rates need to increase. Good afternoon, everyone. Carm Capriato from the Remarkable Results Radio podcast on the weekly Town Hall Academy live webcast. Talk about interesting. We have a subject today that uh, is a political hot potato, maybe. And if not, it's going to be a good thing. Nine reasons why labor rates need to increase. There's a lot of discussion out there. They do, they don't. There's different ways to go about increasing and improving profits in the company. But Matt, having been a technician, not a shop owner, but very engaged and all-knowing and all-seeing as far as the industry, because you talk to so many people out there, what's the story, Matt? Are enough shops making enough money from your perspective?
2: Uh, Absolutely not. Uh, I think we have a lot of shops fighting for the same, you know, a shrinking piece of the pie. Cars aren't breaking the way they used to. So we're trying to get our car counts up. And how do they do that? By discounting and limiting their labor rates and uh, even some fear involved of raising their labor rates to something appropriate and profitable. Uh, So scared of losing those car counts.
0: Are there other ways to go about what we need to do?
2: I think it's just start valuing the services we provide, you know, start uh, believing in what we do and trying to strive to do it at a high level. And that requires money. We have to have money coming in to afford the proper tooling, the training, and to pay the type of people we need to do the work at a high level. You get what you pay for all around, correct? The customer gets what they pay for when they take it to a facility that is under-tooled. Shop owners, managers get what they pay for when they... Uh, can't pay a competitive wage with other uh, industries and trades that acquire a lot of the same skill sets we have. And I would argue our skill sets even exceed those.
0: Matt, I, I think part of what you brought up was there's a lot of reasons why things need to change, and we're going to cover that in a bit. And this is a pretty comprehensive discussion. I have seen the talking points that have been offered here by our panel. Tom, uh, you've got a great fact that I'd love you to share about what gross margin dollars are all about in a shop.
3: Uh, just doing the math on it, you should have about 60% of your gross profit coming from labor, more of that from parts usually, normally. That's what it should be although it isn't in a number of shops but uh that goes right to the labor rate and why it gets so critical that it needs to be up there to cover all the costs that uh, are here now and the bigger ones that are even that are coming
0: you know you sit in such an, an incredible position uh because you've got 11,000 members in the automotive management network what are they saying to you when when you put out you know you're always surveying and you're always asking what are you hearing
3: There's too many shops, kind of tagging on what Matt said there, and a lot of them are unqualified. And then there's one of those politically incorrect subjects that nobody ever dares broach, but there are the staggering number of underground shops, which a lot of them are just simply a tech going home and running his own shop. But a lot of these uh, techs, their own shop at home is equipped as well as the shop that they work at. But when you do that and you bypass all regulations, all expenses, your, your costs of doing business are, are massively lower than a real honest good and shop. And uh, that drives the prices down significantly.
0: Matt, how many guys that you do, you know, do underground according to what Tom says underground?
2: Uh, I would say significant. I'd hate to put a number on it, but yeah, they're trying to supplement their incomes by doing some work on the side at home. And usually it's the quote unquote gravy. It's the easy work.
0: Tom, do you hear that the reason that there's a lot of underground, and maybe Matt, you can chime in on this, is that the pay and the benefits just aren't what they are and they're, they're there to be supplemented? Or is it that they're they just they're so passionate about wanting to do break jobs?
3: It's a tradition, I think, that's gone on for a very long time, so that's part of it. My perception has been, and, and I'm this is more perception than some factual reality, most of them are dealer techs. Uh, independent techs, not so much. Most of the better independent shops have a little bit – tend to have a little bit fairer pay systems uh, where the techs are not squeezed down so much. But especially in the dealer uh, setting where they really get pinched down uh, and business gets slow and they, they get nothing at the end of the week or a little bit more than nothing, those are the ones who tend to supplement their income, as Matt
0: said Got it. Hey, Malin, I want to ask you something as a a coach and an advisor to so many shops. Is it the labor rate that needs to go up or do we just need to get a better handle on how the numbers work? A D,
1: all of the above. We have to remember that most everybody in the automotive repair business started out as a technician and they do it because they love it. And the business side of it is something they don't look forward to. So, In most cases, we've never actually configured the hourly rate, and a lot of times, when I start working with a repair shop, they don't have a clue what their true overhead is, what they spend in expenses. Their labor rate is what I call a wag, wild ass guess, and they don't pay their technicians enough, they don't budget for new equipment and supplies to make sure they can repair the cars properly, much less all the other things it takes to run the business properly. So, you know, both Matt and Tom bring up great points, And a lot of technicians that work on the side that I've talked to, they do it because they need to pay their bills. And I'll make a point here, and I'm sure we're going to take some flack for this, but we as shop owners, a lot of times we are looking for the cheapest parts and the cheapest labor so we can provide the cheapest repairs. And we need to stop doing that. We need to buy the best parts, the best quality technicians, and sell it for what it's worth and stop getting paid for taking the nuts and bolts off and getting paid for what we know we don't pay a doctor to cut us. We pay a doctor to know where to cut us. And we need to get paid for what we know, not what our hands are doing. And that's a whole different concept.
0: Well, if my two other panelists are shaking their head and uh, and feel very strong about what you just said, I'm sure there are many other people in the audience saying the same thing. So what do we do about it, Malin?
1: Well, unfortunately, everybody, manager and owner out there needs to understand what their true cost of doing business is and they need to have a budget. For example, next year we'll have to upgrade equipment, do training. We need to plan for that now and set our hourly rate. And I believe it was Matt that said that people are so afraid of raising their hourly rate that they don't do it. And my opinion is it should be raised at least checked every quarter and raised once a year, at least the minimum cost of living increase. You know, and I'll, I'll ask Tom and Matt, what do you what do you think a good budget number is for technology in 2018 to keep people fresh? Maybe not catch them up. But if you if you looked at what it would it take next year in dollars and cents to buy the
0: equipment? I was recently speaking and did an interview, and the owner said 5% is what they would spend on marketing of their sales number. It's a big number. $2 million shop, 5% of that's a lot of money. And so I I love what you just said, Matt, or or Malin, (laughs) what would be, maybe not the dollars, but the percentage of sales that you would invest.
1: And I think Matt also brought up another good point is that we're chasing car count, and what we need to be chasing is average hours per RO and average dollars per RO. Because there's a finite number of cars we can run through the shop. And I get this all the time, how many cars they need. And I look at their car count now and they're not maximizing what they have. So it, it's, a, it's this is a multi-pronged problem. We have to have the right car count. We have to be productive with the cars we have. And we have to charge the right amount of money, both parts and labor, for the repairs that we're doing. And we need to develop a budget for next year.
0: I'm with Ron Haugen of Westside Auto Pros. Hey, Ron, why purchase a Jasper engine for your customer's car?
4: Uh, the, the main reason we use Jasper is, is they're known for quality and we're known for quality. They line up with my company and my, my company's commitment to our customers uh, you know, as a product. They're committed to me.
0: Hey, Ron, are customers investing in their vehicle today?
4: Absolutely. You, you know, we, we see the surveys from, from AAA and, and, and all the different people out there where the average age of a car on the road is 11 years old. Some are even saying 12 now. Uh, when you think about that, for every new car sold, that means there's a 22 year old car being driven on a daily basis. To me, that's amazing. Uh, the only way we get an average age of a vehicle on the road like that is because people are reinvesting in a car. And, and I think the reason they're reinvesting in a car is is the cost of a car I mean cars are thirty forty fifty sixty thousand dollars. you know why not drop four five six, eight thousand dollars into repowering the vehicle and get it back on the road?
0: Hey, Ron, thanks for your insights on Jasper
4: Thanks for asking
0: with the huge level of competition that's out there from really the much bigger box operations that have bigger, better systems this is sounds almost like Uh, one of the most important things any shop owner can do if they're not doing it and they want to be around for a long time, they've got to make some important moves to become or to get more involved with their numbers, more involved with their productivities and efficiencies and their proficiencies. They have to know these numbers as tough as it may be, kicking and screaming, sitting down with the yellow pad or the accountant or some kind of form that tells me Oh, I see. You know, it's like almost, I finally see where the problem is. Malin, and I guess my question is, is it like so refreshing to see when those lights come on, when you work with someone, and and when that happens, do you see their business take off?
1: Well, there's two things. First, I don't need them to track 100 numbers. Most shop owners, if they just track six or seven very basic numbers weekly, and they'd be in tune to their business. Um, I've seen guys that are tracking 80, 90 numbers, and it's overwhelming to them. You know, I'm a KISS guy. Keep it simple, silly. I, I like the basics. So six, seven numbers, you'll know what your business is doing. And when they when they get it and they realize they're not going to have to become an accountant to do it, and they start paying attention to those six or seven basic numbers, then they go, hey, this number's off. And I'll share with you something. I was having service writer school last weekend, and we talked to a service writer who likes to chit-chat a lot, too much conversation. And I had him break down what his shop depends on him to produce, and it's $40 a minute. And I said to this young man, I said, when you're having that extra 10-minute conversation with a customer just because you're BSing with them, how much money is that to the shop at $40 a minute? And he got a look on his face like, Oh, my gosh, I never thought about it that way. He was given good customer service, but we could have done that in nine minutes or eight minutes or two minutes and made the shop some more money. So the numbers are the score and we're not keeping the score. That's the way I feel about it.
3: Oh, absolutely. And the the, the point about uh excellent point about the the too many numbers are often thrown out there. I'm aware of some where they're literally tracking a couple of hundred numbers. It makes your eyes glaze over. You know, we track a little bit more than six or seven, but there's six or seven uh, really super key ones. And then there's another, oh, half a dozen or dozen that are, oh, you might say B-level, and they're kind of important too. If you go on our network, for instance, we've got the uh, uh, 24 key numbers, and those are ones we look at on a monthly basis, not a weekly basis. And uh, those 24 are uh, – our philosophy or what we stayed on there is if, if you keep these 24 within these r- ranges, you will be successful and profitable. Uh, and we, we're pretty, we're pretty uh, easy with it from the standpoint of we, there's no dead perfect number. Every time we give ranges, it's not that difficult if uh, you get somebody to take a look at it, not overwhelm them and uh, show them how easy it can be to track it. And as we get better and more sophisticated with the software, uh, which which is happening every day now. Then uh, it gets easier to track the numbers. More and more of it is automated, and uh, we can just do better and better as we tighten stuff up with the software. You plug leaks, and and it just uh, it's getting better. This whole numbers thing is what I'm seeing.
0: Matt, you're on uh, all of the uh, technician roundtables, many groups. Do you hear the frustration coming from the techs that they would wish that their owners would take a step up and and manage better.
2: Yeah, but I think that's just like a generic response, right? You want your manager to learn how to manage, and you want your the shop owner to learn how to run a
0: shop. I guess what I'm saying is, have you heard from anyone who says, "OMG, we've had a revelation. We're we're on our way. We've we've made some major changes in the company." If the shop makes more money, they make more money, and.
2: Also, there's newer equipment, better equipment, uh, maybe better working conditions. You know, if the shop makes a lot more money, the shop becomes climate controlled, etc., you know.
0: Many of the people that are on here watching us don't need this information. And I'm glad they're here. And I'm glad they follow the Academy. And I'm glad. But you have a friend or a peer in the industry that needs this information, would you please share this Facebook post or as this becomes a YouTube video and a podcast early next week, please share this. I want this not to be the lesson, not to show where the numbers fit, but I wanted to be able to move some people to stop and say, I need to get much more serious to really understand what's going on with my business. And it leads me to the point, Tom, where you've got resources on your site that can help guys. So tell me, how many, how many of those downloads actually, you know, how many guys are curious and they get in there and then they write you back and says, hey, thanks for the spreadsheet?
3: As time goes on, it's getting more and more. Uh, we're getting more positive feedback, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting. We've been around since since 2003, and yet in the last 10 months, our premium membership is where you get into the more in-depth stuff has increased by 50%, uh, which is which is a huge number. And when I say premium, it's still cheap. It's like a whopping 39 bucks, but that gets them into more, more, we got tons of free stuff on the site, but there is some stuff that's a little bit more in depth that we charge a little bit for so we can pay for, pay the bills. But, uh, yeah, we're getting uh, a lot of positive feedback on that. And you hear of shops that, uh, yeah, they came on here and it's interesting. Some of the people will, will come on here even as a, fr- a free member usually. And, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll stumble on this on a Friday night and they end up spending all day Saturday and Sunday, <laughs> With, with coffee, et cetera, just going on all over the site and reading this and reading that because we pull stuff in from all over the place so it's it's not our material uh, we 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 create a little material, but we just pull stuff in from all kinds of different sources so there's there's tons of stuff there It's, it's a great shopping mall, if you will, for great management information
0: so mail There are resources out there. And as a business coach and consultant, a new client comes to you and says, listen, I'm really struggling. And say it's all about labor rates. Let's just, you know, we'll focus on what we're talking about today. How do you go about getting someone to take a look inside their business?
1: Well, the first thing we do is look at their profit and loss statement and make sure it's configured properly because 90% of them don't give them the information they need. And then we will actually do their effective flat rate what their flat rate needs to be, what their productivity is, what their gross profit is, take an hour, explain those things to them, and then slowly transition them to telling us what they see. You know, Tom's absolutely correct. There's, you know, several different numbers you need to watch. I'm just ecstatic when some guy picks up one or two numbers and goes, hey, I know what this means. (laughs) You know, we'll work him into 20 or 30. But, you know, most of these people, we got to start with the basics. And the foundation of any business is what we call the financial structure. Uh, what's your what's your daily operating expenses or your monthly operating expenses and, and you have to remember that a huge number of these repair shop owners aren't taking money out of their businesses so they really are kind of complacent with this because they don't think it's worth anything so we want to show them you know how to build their pay and their hourly rate where they're advertising which in some cases carm just so you know i think 5% is low Depending on what they're trying to accomplish on their marketing budget, but to build all of this into it and then kind of, kind of back their way into the hourly rate. And most of them have, don't even know what, what their rent is every month or what the taxes they pay are. So we start with just a financial awareness of this is where your numbers are and this is how we do this. And that's the starting part.
0: In order for someone to sit down over the weekend, Tom, and I love what you said. In fact, Tom and I were on the phone a while back and, you know, he says, my God, the academy is so cool. People can just, you know, pull a chair up, get their coffee out, do some paperwork and, you know, be looking at AMN over there and little academy over here and get a lesson. So I I get that. I get that part. Does it have to be as deep? I mean, here it is. People are going to hook up to the academy right now and listen to this and say, well, maybe I can pull something off of this. Maybe I can start my business on a different trek." Do they have to have this perfect P&L in order to figure a a simple, you know, is my labor rate right?
1: Well, I'm going to go back to the uh, computer adage, garbage in, garbage out. If they don't have solid numbers that they know are correct The number they're going to come out with as an hourly rate is going to be incorrect, and they're back in the same boat. We can start with anything you have and work towards the the correct numbers. But it boils back to this, and this is my underlying frustration with this, is that we are so concerned with fixing cars that we forgot to be business people. And fixing cars is fun for most of us. The business is not fun. And we gotta, we've gotta, we got to become that entrepreneurial person and pay attention to the business. And you'll find any of these successful shops, they made a transition from being a car fixer to being a business owner. They own a business that fixes cars. And then the numbers become a little easier for them. But with four or five numbers, I can probably diagnose your business pretty accurately. But if you really want to get down the nitty-gritty, then we're going to need a few more numbers.
0: Got it. Okay. No quick fix. Yet, the commitment to drive understanding my labor rate will force me to get a lot of other things in order. I mean, I think that's the message here. And so even, Tom, if somebody came to your site, Premium Membership, downloaded, and they looked at that and they said, Oh, my, I don't know this or I, I got this in the wrong house, you know, wrong pew, sit right, church, wrong pew, they would have to do some very interesting changes in how they're doing their books. How adaptive are accountants to some of these changes?
3: I'm glad uh, you guys got into the accounting statements a little bit. One thing that that we do and that I propose that shops do, especially, again, I like the people are overwhelmed with the numbers, uh, too focused on fixing cars, is create your own Financial statement, and what I mean by that is, is instead of all this complex stuff uh, that's for the accountant, and so on and so forth, make yourself a simple little one. I mean, we're talking about dollars in, dollars out. This really isn't rocket science, and we can make just a one-page, simple little statement that shows the key things that will include the numbers that Milan's talking about, and it'll be very easy to track again with some decent software, and you won't have to worry about all this other. Stuff that kind of muddies the waters. And that helps people see more clearly, too. Uh, I like them to uh, use a little help doing it, but create a financial statement that you understand. If if the other ones glaze your eyes over, get rid of that part and put the numbers down in the order that makes sense to you. Math is math. It's going to add up the right way. So uh, that's really effective with people who aren't numbers people of keeping it real simple.
0: Love loved your idea, Tom, about make it sensible to you. It doesn't have to be super rocket scientists. We're not we're not launching a satellite here, right? We're just running a shop. What I continue to think a lot about is this. We're doing a show in about three weeks, an academy with Bob Greenwood and Donnie Seifer on looking at the juggernaut of competition that's coming our way. Open your eyes and look. You can only imagine how interesting that may be. And the point is is if we're going to continue to be extremely successful in this business, we have to become better business people. And we have to be better marketers and better at hiring superstars and having a place for them to come and work. And one of the things that is on our talking points is really why does a much more successful, profitable business, which can really be boosted by having the right labor rate, um, w- w- why do we need to do this? And where there were so many that we all came up with as a group. I want to talk about multiple labor rates and wondering the importance of that. If it's a marketing ploy or tool or it's, hey, we've got a higher cost to put a Matt Fanzelow in the bay to do this research. So there needs to be a diagnostic rate. Guys, can you talk to me about that? I'm
1: a huge advocate of al- multiple labor rates for that very reason. When I have my most expensive technician doing the most complex jobs, using the most expensive equipment, most expensive information, why don't we charge a little more for it? If he's, if he's a cardiologist, as opposed to GP, he gets paid more money. And, and as far as I'm concerned, you know, Matt's a cardiologist. He's a neurologist. So not only that, but it allows us to be more competitive for the less technical things, um, like, a, like a standard brake job. And I hate to use that word cause there's no such thing, but you, you know, the less complex things that we have to do. And you know, I advocate at least five labor rates because if it's a motorhome trailer, it's a different labor rate than it's the passenger car. If it's a more than one ton truck, maybe a different labor rate. If it's a smog repair drivability complaint, that's what I call the A-rate. To fix something that we find in that A-rate inspection testing and diagnosis, You know, take an intake manifold off one of these cars. That's a complex job. A lot of computer controlled stuff. That's a B rate. And then a, a water pump replacement might be the A rate. And it just allows you to be more competitive on that water pump replacement, but also get paid what's needed for that high tech, complex, very expensive technician. And, you know, we've been paying this for many years. Doctors use it. Lawyers use it. Plumbers use it. Electricians use it. We haven't. That's where we're kind of behind the curve in some of this stuff. And I'm a huge advocate of it. And of course, I also have the attitude labor rate.
0: That would be the sixth one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the one we don't talk about.
0: (laughs) Very good. Tom, do you have multiple labor rates at your shop?
1: We've had multiple
3: labor rates (laughs) since we first put management software in place, I think, in 1995. And today we've got uh, 20 or more. Part of the problem here, now we're kind of circling back around this math thing, and one of the things that holds people up from doing it is the complexity of doing all the math. And this, again, back to the software, and I, I'm just a big software guy. The, the good softwares have simple ways for you to have, in some cases, infinite labor rates, uh, matrixed labor rates, which is a whole other subject. And, uh-huh. and to put all this automatically in the software, and nobody has to get out a calculator, it just poof, it just happens. Because that's the way your system is set up. And because a lot of the softwares aren't set up that way, it's just too much hassle and to, to do it. And guys just do one labor rate because it's just, it's just too complicated.
0: But I also heard, and it could have been last week's Academy, where there is so much power sitting in the SMS systems out there, and people don't know how to use it.
1: Oh, amen. 10%. Most of these shops are using 10% of their computer's power. A terrible waste of a great resource, in my opinion.
0: As a side note, how do we solve that?
1: Stop being a car fixer and become a business owner and understand the power of the tools. You know, it's amazing. They'll spend 50 hours learning how to use a new lab scope and they spend five minutes on their computer system and think they got it.
3: Well, you'll have a full range. You know, it's just like anything. You'll, you'll have, I, I believe last time somebody said, there's about 150 management softwares out there and it's probably a low number. And you're going to find this whole range of, fantastic regular webinars, training seminars, etc. on one end of the spectrum at the other end of the spectrum, here it is. Good luck. And everything in between. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of the software is lacking in training, uh, and, and the, uh, they, they could sell more software if they train a little bit better and, and uh, you know, promote it in that way. But th- that's one of the weak points in a lot of the management software. Mylon knows that too, I'm sure. You've
0: just prompted me to think about, you know, I wonder if it would be worthwhile having an academy with a bunch of uh, talking about SMS systems, shop management systems. Matt, multiple labor rates. Is the labor rate when you touch a car uh, higher?
2: Absolutely. I think it's well over $50 an hour more.
0: Wow. That's, that's a big number. Malin, uh, is that about right from from the lowest rate?
1: It depends on where we started at. Also, I don't think fifty dollars is a stretch. It may not be enough for some people that you have this huge investment in tools and equipment, and training. I mean, think about what we spend just to train that diagnostic technician a year. We could spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars, or should be. Oh, shit. yes. Good point. Good point. <laughs> we need to look at that. That's that goes back to. Um, I a hundred percent agree with Tom is we need to throw gap out the door. And for those who don't know what gap is, that's generally accepted accounting principles. We need to stop following the rules. The accountant does and get a P and L or a set of numbers that makes sense to you. And for example, you know, if Matt worked for me, I'd figure I'm going to spend $20,000 next year in training Matt to keep him up on this stuff. That's going to be built into my overhead as a monthly fee that every hour of labor we sell is going to cover providing we sell the labor. And that's the second part of this labor rate conversation. So we have to sell the hours we have available, productivity. That's why I asked the question, how much do we need to spend on equipment next year to just to keep up, not get ahead, just to keep up with the technology.
0: Let's talk about a little bit of the, the why, paying top talent and being able to hire top talent. I'm starving. I need a great A-tech. I can't afford the A-tech. Well, obviously the answer would be, yes, you can afford the A-tech. Once you figure out, how the business becomes more profitable, improving working conditions. Matt, I I don't know, one of you guys just said that, uh, improved benefits. Tom, I believe in one of your surveys, uh, the techs are are leaving because the benefit, they're finding better benefits or they need or they want benefits. And that would be a reason that they would consider leaving. Uh, Working conditions, what people want in the environment they want to work in. Matt Malin, you just said it, investing in tools and equipment and training is is a huge expense line. Uh, on, on a on a P and l And investing in IT and infrastructure. You know, I can't imagine having to, to build up a, a better physical plant in order to be able to do the business in the future that's going to re- require some facility changes. And then just plain old IT and tablets and computers and networks and, and saving yourself from the, the crazy world of the internet. I mean, all of this takes money. It is no longer just, oh, I'm a great mechanic and I can own a business. And the message has been over and over, pounding this industry to death. Take a step back and start working on your business, not in your business. And, and so with all of that just said, paying top talent, benefits, working conditions, tools and equipment, please talk to me about why all of this is important and why the better profitability that could start with a smarter, better labor rate is so critical to us staying in business and competing. Two things.
1: We need the same talent that every other high-tech company in the world is looking for. And they're working in an air-conditioned office wearing a white lab coat. They're working 40 hours a week. They don't have a $100,000 investment in tools. How are we going to attract those people? We're looking for the same people that Google's looking for and Tesla's looking for. How do we attract them? We, We offer in most cases, I'll speak very generally here, a difficult environment to work in. We don't provide them with the tools, equipment, and education they need. And we we use them and abuse them when they can go to work. You know, my son works for an airline. He's got great benefits. He doesn't make a whole lot of money per hour, but he's got great benefits. And he would be great for our industry, but to pry him away from the airline right now, I'm not going to be able to do that. He'd make a great technician, but...
0: You know, he can't beat his benefits. Because the benefits and the environment and the training, um, there's there's a lot there that isn't all about the hourly rate. Absolutely. And,
1: you know, his last paycheck, his two-week paycheck was 190 hours. And he got time and a half, double time for part of that. I mean, they take very good care of him. Doesn't make a lot per hour, but he had a huge paycheck because of that. And he's the he's the guys. You know, when I go to these high schools and I talk to them about career paths, and one of the questions I get asked all the time is, how much money can I make? And it's kind of like, well, uh, it kind of depends on how hard you work. Well, not everybody tells them that. They go to work for you know, one of these large high-tech companies and make pretty decent money without the investment. And, and that's my pet peeve. We're not, we're not taking care of our employees, in my opinion, the way we should.
0: Before I go to Tom or Matt, uh, Dave Hobbs was on with me a few weeks ago from Delphi, trainer from Delphi, and he said that our technology is the carrot on the stick for future technicians to want to join our industry and for the current techs to want to stick around because people that love tech want to hang out and be in our business. We just have to figure out how to keep them and hire them. Getting
1: to play with the greatest technology doesn't clothe their kids or put a home over their head. They like the technology. You know what, wife wants? A good income, benefits to take care of the family and the kids. You know, when we start out, we all suffer a little bit there, but as we become experts in our field, when we become Matt, we should be compensated for that as a reward. And you know, I agree with Dave greatly that technology is what tracks people here, but what keeps them here?
0: Yes, we, we have to learn how to hire them and how to keep them. Absolutely. And I think that was his point. His point was, if we stop to think about what we have as a carrot and stick, then we got to be smarter to figure out, OK, what's my job to to attract and retain? Tom, your opinion on all of that, really um, those important pieces that motivate someone to want to work at your shop?
3: I've been in a lot of shops all over the country, and maybe I'm kind of a wuss myself or whatever, but I often tell people that I would not work in most of the shops I've been in. I wouldn't work there. It's cold, it's wet, it's hot, it's dirty, it's disorganized. The lunchroom is sitting in my car, the benefits, uh, the facility. If you go right on down the line, uh, hopefully Matt's over there going, yeah. Uh, because it's just, why would people want to come into this? Uh, the, there's so many holes in the job. I think the average technician wage is 36,000 according to the feds, I believe. Uh, which is, I mean, you can get that probably a greeter at Walmart. I mean, that's not, you know, work a few extra hours. We're, We're not talking about a lot of money here. The people that we need and, and I throwing out numbers is always dangerous, but depending on the skill level, the, the the people that we need, depending on where you are and what they're doing, are probably going to need 30 to 50 an hour. To be profitable, if we've got if we've got to keep about 70% of the labor for all the expenses the shop has, we can pay a tech about 30%. Again, I'm throwing out a number, I'll get in trouble, but you can go up or down on that bit. You can just do the math backwards and figure out what your labor rate is supposed to be. And it's not $89 an hour. It doesn't work. It's simple math, just working into it. What do you got to have for the top people in order to pay them and and the equipment to keep renewing that, the training, uh, and all the improvements that need to be done to facilities to bring them up to a decent level?
2: Well, it's it's not even necessarily the creme de la creme, you know, even keeping decent techs and uh, attracting decent techs. We're having a terrible time of it because they have critical thinking. And if they have critical thinking, it's very easy for them to look online and see where compensation packages are, and they can easily see, why would I want to do this for a living? You know, I can do this. You know, I like cars. I'll work on cars on the weekend, and I'll get a job that pays me enough to do that for fun, rather than this being the industry that pays somebody that loves to mountain climb to be able to go afford a mountain climb on the weekends. We're not doing it. Not yet. You know, maybe we're on our way, but we're not there yet.
0: Malin, are we on our way? I
1: think we're getting better every day. People are reaching out, asking, asking for help. They're paying attention. They're visiting Tom's site. They're exploring these things. But it goes back to what we talked about one time before, Carm. Knowledge is not power. It's the implementation of knowledge. And where we break down is we learn these things and then we don't do anything about it. You know, one of, one of the, the funniest things that happens is every time we, we do the calculations and I tell somebody, well, you need to raise your hourly rate $2 an hour and they go, I can't, I'll lose all my customers. And typically this is the way I look at this. I'll voice my opinion. Tom threw numbers out, I'll voice my opinion. So they'll be mad at both of us. The people that are watching this, this town hall, the people that belong to Tom's site, they're the top probably 10 to 15% of the repair shops anyway. And by being the top 10, 15%, they're going to be the most expensive in their area. They may not be the most expensive, but they're going to be in the top 10 or 15%. And they're busy. They have work, maybe not enough work, but they have work. So if price was the reason people bought auto repair, they should be out of business. Every one of my clients should be out of business because they are typically the highest priced in the area. Matt should be unemployed, but they're not because there's a huge group of people that want service. They want their car repaired. They want to be treated properly. And that's all encompassed in what we charge. Great customer service, the special things, washing their car, delivering their car, all of those things. It's not just about equipment and parts and fixing. It's the whole package of what we deliver, and I constantly ask people, "Do you want to be Nordstrom's? Do you want to be Kmart?" And you got to make a choice. And if you're going to be Nordstrom's, you got to give Nordstrom's level of service. That costs money. You got to fix cars right. You need the mats. And I agree with you 100%. Matt, we have a hard time keeping what I could call really good nut and bolters—the guy that can do a water pump, and and do a set of brakes, and get it done in a timely manner—and and that's where we need to really work. That's our industry focus. And, and Carm, I said it before, you know, a lot of people, they may not need to change their hourly rate. What they need to work on is their productivity and is that hourly rate covering all of their expenses. Okay. And, and, you know, that's the biggest, my biggest thing is that hourly rate needs to pay for everything that business has to have. Owner, service writer, advertising shuttle, technicians, parts,
2: everything, in the grand scheme of things we devalue ourselves all the time exactly the way a Maitland's talking about. If we see a problem in it, we really struggle to find it. Let's say we invest three hours. We may feel like we should have figured it out sooner. So we only charge a couple hours, but then we start seeing it more often. Now I can figure it out in one hour. I'm charging the customer an hour. Right. And maybe I get to the point where I just know what it is and, Oh, you're a good customer. Don't worry about it. Just, you know, pay us to fix it. We don't charge anything for the diagnosis. I go to the doctor often. I kind of know what's wrong, but I still pay for the diagnosis.
0: But that's a smart shop owner who knows how to do that.
2: It should know how to do that and understand the value of that, you know, that that adage about the carpenter and the right. nail.
0: You're right. And it goes back to undervalue. We, once we figure we, we are smart and really good, we'll we'll do things that will hurt the business ultimately
2: charge for what you know or charge for what your techs know
0: don't undervalue i love it great point you know i think this could go on for for another hour because i really think we got into it i think in aggregate when you look back at this episode when you, when you hear it and you, and you re-watch it it's full it's full of great things and you know you said it malin uh knowledge is power but you've got to be able to um implement and you know and <clears throat> You and you've said that to me a bunch of times um, as as we've gotten to know each other over over the last couple of years, and you know I have this great quote on my website: "Listen to learn just one thing," and you know I need to change that because of you. It it should uh, listen to learn just one thing and implement it. (laughs) And. Implement it. And I know there's going to be some great ideas, maybe not necessarily, you know, 10, 9 or 10 great uh, takeaways from this, but there's probably 20. And hopefully our discussion today has motivated. We we didn't fix anyone's problem, but hopefully we made them realize a lot of things about how uh, important the labor rate is in the business. Matt is going to join me at a, at a town hall academy on November 2nd at Apex and it's on emerging technologies what the aftermarket needs to do to repair to to prepare and we're going to have a shop owner an industry trainer and a technician and that technician happens to be Matt Fonslow. So uh let's go around the room give me a 1 minute summary as what we can leave our audience with. It's the same same
2: thing everybody's been saying for years, right? Uh, you learn how to fix cars. You go to training to fix cars, training to learn about new technologies. Uh, start training yourself to run your business. Get all those resources that are available to you to run it better and make more money for the shop, for the technicians, for yourself. I think it was mentioned that it's not like a lot of these shop owners are you know, owning yachts and multiple houses and taking lavish vacations either. They're, they're struggling as well. But we'd like to. Right, right. <laughs> that isn't just, right either. You know? Just look at the cars they drive. Absolutely. <laughs> and they can't afford to have their own techs fix it. So,
0: <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Fonslow. Tom.
2: Yes, sir. I've, I've mentioned two things real quick.
3: One of the things we do, especially when get into pricing, and this affects all the policies in the business, not just pricing. Shop owners tend to set their policies and their pricing by the lowest, worst five or 10% of their customer base. Those are the people who dictate the rules and the prices for the other 95%. And you end up putting onerous rules on people who, you know, don't have, to, shouldn't have to deal with it. And and they'd be happy to pay a few dollars more, but you're catering to this low end. That's one thing. And then the other thing we were talking about the statement, one of our members a while back, a number of years ago earlier in the, in, in the site, uh, gave me the ultimate simple, financial statement for a auto repair shop and it was called 25 25 25 25 and he said he said somebody had taught him this and they look at uh, an auto repair dollar that comes in you got 25 cents for parts 25 cents for expenses 25 cents for payroll and 25 cents for you and that was how he did his numbers and he got his 25 cents know, you can vary each one of them up and down a little bit. I think the parts one will actually be a little lower, the payroll one a little bit higher. Uh, but the numbers do work if you apply those numbers, uh, th- those before numbers you could use to, uh, to run your shop and you'd do
0: okay. I love the concept, guys, because, you know, percents. Oh, God, percents are tough. You just made it into sense.
1: (laughs) Made sense of it. (laughs) Oh, very good. Oh, here we go. (laughs) He's unfrozen when he's a comedian. The only stuff worth listening to. All right, Malin, I'll give you the last word. Well, first of all, everybody brought up great points. And, you know, the takeaway from this is people don't come to us because of price. They come to us because of what we do. And we need to value ourselves. That's a great word. And we need to understand that most of us, I mean, if we want—we look at Matt and Tom, you guys don't buy the cheap tools, do you? You don't buy the cheap equipment. You buy quality stuff. And typically, it's not so much the manufacturer, it's the salesperson who sells it to you. You know, I did a stint as a Snap-on tool salesman. And people bought from me, not because of Snap-on, because I was personable. I called on them. If they needed something, I'd take care of them. Sounds much like our repair shops, right? And we need to stop thinking about we're fixing cars. We're fixing people. We're taking care of people. We're providing freedom. And people will pay for that. I don't stay at the cheapest hotels. I don't fly the cheapest airline. I fly the convenient, happy airline and the, and the hotel that gives me a good level of service. And we got to stop thinking they're buying car repair from us. They're buying the concept of freedom. You know, as you know, Carm, I'm walking everywhere, you know. And trust me, I'd really like to have a car now. And I don't want it to break down ever again because I wanna be able to drive it. And our customers are no different. If I took your car away from you, Carm, how, Carm, how are you gonna get around? Awfully tough. Right, so you'll pay a little more to know that you have peace of mind, security, you know, safe, dependable, reliable transportation. And for us to provide that, we have to have you know, 100,000 mats and we have to have you know, 100,000 toms as owners of our businesses. And we just need to get at this. We gotta stop thinking about what we do and think about what we provide. It's a different world out there now.
0: Thank you, man. Hey, do me a favor. Anyone who's watching or listening, please share this with uh, a friend, a peer, a colleague. Share it with a network group. Share it with uh, a friend down the street who uh, has a who's a competitor of yours. The people that need to hear this aren't going to unless we make that happen. Hey, Carm.
1: One of the things you know, I like to offer are your listeners a little bonus. So here's the bonus for this. I will give to you a one page fill in sheet. And if they'll fill that out and send it back to me, I'll actually calculate what their hourly rate needs to be based on the information they've given me. And if they want, I will give them some time. Absolutely no charge, no sales pitch. This is purely I want to help them understand their numbers one on one time.
0: Wow. Okay, so we'll work this out after we uh, close here. And what I recommend to everyone is when this episode becomes a podcast on Wednesday morning of this week, and if you're listening to it as a podcast, you'll just need to go to the site. And in the monologue of the episode, I'll explain how to get there. Uh, the, the actual URL of the show notes page, you'll be able to click it, download it, and then your, your email will be on there. and we'll, That's great. We'll We'll figure out how to make this work. Thank you to Malin Newton from ESI out in California to Tom Hamm hanging out in Detroit and Matt Fonslow, a technician in Red Wing out in, in, uh, in Minnesota. Guys, appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the Premier Automotive Aftermarket Podcast. Until next time.